When we come to this idea of, of this statement of this is how we change the world, let's just be honest about that. That could sound a little arrogant. Does that sound a little arrogant to anybody else but me? I think it kind of does, and I'll tell you why I think that's the case. Because when you hear somebody say, whether it's on TV or an athletic sport or whatever, I'm going to change the world. Most people in their mind go, oh, you, you're, you just go get them, slugger. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, that, that's, that's really cute. Yeah, you're really going to change this world. And what happens is, is literally we start to think, man, I, I don't even know if that's possible. Like, can we really fix world hunger forever? I don't know, but we can make a difference in it. Can we really change policies that make an eternal impact? I don't know. I mean, we can try, but there's all these different things of like, man, okay, people say they're going to change the world. Presidents come in and say they're going to change this and change that and governors and mayors and all that stuff. Everyone comes in and they go, man, I could actually bring change. And for the most part, it's like, man, I've, I've heard that before. I've listened to people say that before. Have you, have you done the same thing? Like you've heard that said and what happens? Well, not much changes. So here we are sitting in season three going, hey, we're going to start a sermon series called This is How We Change the World. And you're sitting there going like, is that even possible? So I'm going to answer the question. Yes, I believe it's possible. I believe with all of my heart that God has placed us where we are with who we're around for such a time as this. Here's the problem. When we think of change the world, we go to some global thing that we can't even wrap our mind around and we give up on the spot. Here's what we're talking about when we say this is how we change the world. It's the world around you, the people around you, the life around you. Of course, it's what we can do across seas and what we can do for missions. In November, we're going to have an amazing opportunity to talk more about that. Of course, it's about all of that stuff, but the gist of what we're getting to in this series is I'm looking at you, and I'm saying your world, the life that you're in, you can absolutely change it because God has placed you where you are with the people that you are around, okay? Does that make sense? So that's the gist of it. So let me just tell you kind of like this, this key idea for this series and why we believe you can actually change the world. I want you to write this down, Okay. We believe that we can change the world by the examples we set and the faith that we display. That's the key idea of this series. If we're answering the question, hey, can we actually change the world? And we're saying yes. Then the next question is, is okay, how do we do that? It's very simple. It's by the examples that we set and the faith that we display. Now, this series is really a book series through the book of James. And when you look through James, you see these common threads right here. You see examples that are being set, and you see faith that is being displayed. Many people know faith without works is dead. So most people know, well, that's from the book of James. In other words, you can have all the faith you want in changing the world, but if you don't put it to work, nothing will change. When you begin to look at the book of James, and we'll talk about this next week. Listen, if you're here and you have a problem with this thing right here, your mouth. Next week, we're going to talk about that the examples you set with your words will either change the world, it'll make the world a whole lot worse. And I think we've seen that and we know that to be true. Your words matter. 
So this whole idea of we change the world by the examples we set and the faith that we display is super important. So let's get to the opening text and then we'll understand it a little bit more. James chapter one, consider it pure joy. Everyone say joy. joy. I'm gonna stop right there. Not even a full verse in. Consider it pure joy. Okay, what are we considering joy? Here it comes. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face, what's that word say? Trials. Okay, we're done. Close your Bibles. Nothing to talk about. It's simple. When you're going through a hard time, guess what? Consider it pure joy. Some of you are going, uh-uh, don't think so. So we're going to tackle today. Consider pure joy. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Verse four, let perseverance finish its works so that you may be, uh-oh, what's this word? Mature. Everyone say mature. Uh-oh. So you mean to tell me that if I'm not walking out my hard times, I'm immature? I'm not saying it, but the Bible just did. And complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask of God who gives generously, that's a good word, to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Verse 9, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with the scorching heat, 101 in San Luis Obispo, and withers the plant, my front yard is now brown, and the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Now watch verse 12, blessed, everyone say blessed. Okay, what's the opposite of blessed? Cursed or not blessed. Very good. (laughs) Blessed. You guys are such an intelligent bunch. (laughs) Blessed, a lot more than me, is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Today we're talking, if you're taking notes, under the simple title... This is how we change the world, trials. That's it. There's your title. There's your theme. Everyone say trials. Look at your neighbor. Say trial. Look at your other neighbor. Say you're not my trial. (laughs) If you just looked at your spouse and said that, everything's good today. All right. So here's the deal. If we're honest, got to be an honest group, not because we're in church, because we're believers. Trials aren't fun. No one wakes up in the morning going, man, you know what I can't wait to happen today? I cannot wait for my spouse to get on my nerves today. Can't wait to go to work. I can't wait for my boss to get on to me about something. I can't wait for that person to cut me off. I can't wait for the California signal of your number one. I cannot wait today to go through trial after trial after trial. Matter of fact, God, I am so thankful today that everything's gonna fall apart. My tire's gonna go flat, the car's gonna break down, my kids aren't gonna listen, they're gonna get suspended, everything's going to break loose, I can't wait. And if you do do that, at the end of our service, there will be a prayer line right over to the right, and I will be there to cast the demon out of you, okay? No, I'm just joking. (laughs) 
No one does. No, listen, no one's waking up going, man, I cannot wait for this to happen. But here's the reality. Everyone in this room, you and myself included, are not ever going to walk away from trials. They will always be there. Obstacles will always be there. Tension will always be there. And here is the great news. God knew it. That's how good God is. He knew it, so he spoke to a guy by the name of James, and he said, here's the deal. I need you to put some stuff on paper because my children, my people, those that love me, they're going to come under attack, and some things are, begin, are gonna begin to take place, and they need to know what to do. How many of you guys are thankful that sometimes, for the most part, that if there are directions, you can actually get the job done right? Every dad in here at Christmas time, when you're putting together whatever it is, or if you get married and you go to a place called Ikea to purchase furniture that you have to take home and put together yourself, if for the most part you are thankful for instructions. Am I the only one who has felt the pain of Ikea? Does anybody in here not know what Ikea is? Good. Wonderful. Moving on. I want to give you three things. This morning, three things that you need to understand about trials that will help you if you're in a trial or, as we know, when you face a trial. Because here's the deal. Everyone look at me real quick. If you're not experiencing it now, it's coming. (laughs) And there's a warning, okay? So I'm laughing because I'm like, goodness gracious, it is so true. Like, we face them. And here's what I've noticed. I hate to do this, but it's the truth, okay? Sometimes when you talk about trials, it's because some people in the room are getting to walk out and they're going to face one right away. It's like when you go to marriage counseling. Anybody ever been to marriage counseling before? That's honest enough to admit it. Okay, here's what happens. You guys are looking at me weird today. Am I either speaking your language good or you're like, man, he's spot on. I don't know. But here's what I know about marriage counseling. It's like you go there and the minute you get in the car, you're fighting, I cannot believe you thought that all along. You did not say that to me. You weren't communicating. Why do you think we're there? It opens up a can. Here's what I know. Sometimes when God's word comes and you talk about something specifically, the enemy's ready to go and he's ready to pounce right on that. And in our opening text today, it talks about these tests that we have to pass. And here's how we're going to pass them. Three ways. Number one, you've got to know this about trials. You need to know that trials are necessary for your wholeness. They're necessary for you to be whole and complete. James 1, 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work. Watch here. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. How do we come perfect and complete and lacking nothing? I'll tell you, when you begin to endure and persevere and be patient, because everyone has trials. What's a trial? It's a testing or it's a proving of the properties of anything. Notice he says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Three words, the word fall, it actually means a sudden unexpected hardship. Has that ever happened to anybody in this room? You're walking along in life and bam, it comes. And you're like, well, didn't see that coming. That's what it means when you fall into various trials. For some though, they're self-inflicted. How many of you guys know that to be true? There are things that we face because we know better, but we don't do. 
But sometimes in life, it just has a way of knocking you on the back of the head. In, in, in church, when I was growing up, we, we, called them, we called them head dusters. You ever heard that before in church? So when you're sitting in a pew like this and you're a little kid and your mom's got her arm or your dad's got their arm on the pew and you start talking during church, you go, boof! I'll be quiet now. <laughs> just fixes you right up. Life has a way of just going, bam! And you don't even see it coming. That's what James is saying. He's saying when you fall into unexpected hard times, it begins to come. A trial comes. You're going along and it happens. Now, that word various, it actually comes from the same word used in the Greek and the translation from the Old Testament where it actually refers to Joseph's coat of many colors. Have you ever heard of that before? That's the same Greek word. So what's that mean to you and I? It means trials come in all shapes and sizes. Some are big, some are small, some are crazy, some are neutral. It comes in many different ways. We fall into them and they're different, but then there's this one word, okay? The word count. Everyone say count. Because remember what he said. He said, count it all joy. It's like you want to go, hey, God, do I really got to do that? He said, yeah, count it all joy. The word count means to press down your mind upon or to think about. So watch here. The idea is that you take your specific trial in hand and you begin to focus your thoughts on what is going on and why. James is saying that if you're going through a hard time, you need to find some time, you need to sit down, and you need to ponder it. You need to ask yourself, why is this happening right now? And I just made mention to it a minute ago. Some trials come because of decisions that we make. It's like, it's like living life on a budget, right? People go, man, I'm in a financial hardship, okay? It's one thing when life gets you unexpectedly. You know, something happens. I get that. It's another thing, though, when you are spending more than you have coming in. The reason you're in a trial is because you self-inflicted yourself and lived above your means and spent more than you should. So the trial came. For whatever reason, though, myself too, when I was really young, would be like, oh, God, why is this happening? And I could just see God up in heaven going, well, it's easy. You made this much, you spent that much. You had this bill coming in. You're bad, right? In marriage, why is this happening? Sometimes it's self-inflicted. You're not communicating. You're not on the same page. You're not spending time to get stuff in order. So what happens is, is a trial in your marriage comes because you're not putting in the work to make it right or to keep it right. Trials come in all different ways, but every trial should get you to a place where you go, okay, why is this happening? You've got to begin to count it all joy, and you've got to think about why it's really beginning to take place. Now, after all, here's the thing. What really is joyful about hardship if you don't discover its specific purpose? You have to begin to go. Now, I understand I'm getting a little thinker here, okay? I understand I'm, I'm kind of like diving in just a little bit in your life, but you've got to begin to think about it. The reason people get in trials and stay in trials is because they don't sit down and begin to think about it. You've got to ask yourself, why is this taking place? Now, according to verse number three, the goal of all trials, everyone say all trials, here's the goal, is to produce patience, endurance, and perseverance. Now, nothing in the world takes place of persistence. Talent will not because the world is full of talented people. Your intellect will not because the world is full of very smart and bright people. 
What he is saying is, is trials and temptations are coming so you can learn to persevere so that you can have some patience and some endurance so that when you endure all of the things that are coming to you, you're whole and you're complete and you're not lacking anything. But what happens is, 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 is pressure comes and what do we want to do? What do you want to do when pressure comes? Get me out. I don't want to feel this. This is too hard. And so the pressure comes and you go, I, I want nothing to do with it. And you walk away. But God would say, no, when trials come and when pressure comes, you need to stay under that thing and you need to feel that pressure and you need to endure and you need to have patience and you need to learn to grow because when you handle the pressure and you get under that and you push and you use that resistance, what happens? You get stronger. Yeah, I, I know I make a lot of references to, to strength and training, but here's why. Many people will tell you, you don't grow muscles until you learn to resist the pressure. So here's the thing. You're not growing when you're resisting and walking away from it. You're growing when you're resisting it, but you're staying underneath it and you're beginning to push it out. That's where you begin to get stronger and that's where you begin to get better. You see, sometimes we pray and we ask God, God, please take that out of my life. I don't want it anymore. But what we have to realize is God is trying to produce what's called staying power in you. Staying power is the ability to remain underneath that thing no matter what. It's the ability to remain in a marriage as hard as it gets. It's the ability to remain at a job no matter how hard it gets. It's the ability to stick with whatever it is in a difficult circumstances no matter what. And you've got to stay under it. So you, you have to understand that. Am I making sense on that? I know we don't like it. I know it doesn't feel good. But you need to stay underneath that thing. Why? Because trials will help you. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but trials are a gift. I think trials reveal things in our hearts and in our minds that need to change. Like when a trial comes, if your first nod is, okay, I got to go to God, that reveals that you're putting too much stake in yourself or in others. So that trial just showed you that you're not leaning on God. So therefore, that trial is a gift. That trial is a good thing. It's, it's getting you to the place where it's showing you who do you really depend on. And if you depend on God, that's who you go to first. I came across this article and I thought it was pretty, uh, I thought it was cute. Everyone say cute. There, I'm not the only one who said it. This is what it was. It says, it's an article called, and it came to pass. It says, what is your favorite scripture? Someone asked one of the church mothers. And she said this, my favorite scripture is this, and it came to pass. It's actually found 400 times in the Bible. Now, when asked why she chose this one, she said, because it does not say it came to stay. It's a good verse. Because I, I tell you right there, there's some things that I don't want staying in my life. Aren't you thankful that trials aren't forever? If you're not, again, prayer aisle over there to be good. Number one, number one, trials are necessary for your wholeness. Number two, Trials must be walked through with wisdom. If you're going through a trial, if you find yourself in a trial here today, you've got to understand that wisdom, wisdom is super important. Look at James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given unto you. Now, wisdom is defined, accumulated knowledge, enlightenment, 
insight, and then I thought this one was pretty humorous, and common sense. Anybody else find that funny? You ever look at someone and just go, that just ain't common sense right there. Wisdom is accumulated knowledge, meaning it's something that I learn. It's enlightenment. It's something that gets my attention. It's insight. Someone showed it to me, but sometimes too, wisdom's just common sense. You touch the hot stove, it's going to be hot. So what's, what's wisdom? Don't touch. You ever find someone that goes, oh my God, ah, hot stove. Hey, come here. You got to feel this thing, man. This thing's hot. You don't do that. It's not wisdom unless you're a mean person. Wisdom is the ability to know and to apply knowledge effectively. Look at Proverbs 9.9. Give instructions to a wise man and he will be yet wiser. I love this quote that I found. It says this, wisdom is the scriptural answer to a human problem. I thought that was really good. Because the Bible tells us everything we need to know. We say it all the time. Success is defined by reading the Bible and doing what it says. You'll find success every single time. That's why reading your Bible is super important. So how do we gain wisdom? If you've been here for any length of time, you've heard me say this. Wisdom comes in three ways. Number one, it's not on your notes, but you can write this down. Wisdom comes through pain. Everyone say pain. We don't like pain. We just talked about that. But wisdom comes that way. Psalm 119.71, my suffering, this is David, my suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. The word decree there is another word for the Bible, for God's words. He literally says suffering, pain, discomfort, trials, temptations, it was good for me. It's the same for us. See, God's purpose in your crisis or in your pain is not your survival, it's your education. If you want wisdom, you have to learn from pain. I love golf, so I found this, I thought this was good. When they first manufactured golf balls, they made the cover smooth, I don't know if you know this. Then it was discovered that after a ball had been roughed up, one could get more distance out of it. So they started manufacturing them with dimpled covers. In other words, imperfections, marks. Here's the thing. So it is with life. It takes some rough spots in your life to make you go far. And you have to embrace it. It doesn't feel good. I get it. But wisdom comes through pain. Secondly is wisdom comes through people. Wisdom comes through people. You need to place people in your life that could speak wisdom into your life. Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and you become wise. I'm really big on mentorship. Mentors are huge to me. Mentors are those who have been where you want to go. They have done something that you want to accomplish. And their endurance qualifies them to counsel and advise you. You need somebody in your life who's beyond where you are, that has done what you have done, that has been where you are trying to go. And you got to make it your goal to say, hey, look, I need you to speak into my life. I need you to mentor me. Can we meet for coffee once a week? If you don't like coffee, can we meet for food? If you want to meet me anytime, food is better than coffee. And I'll even pay. I don't even care. You, you got to put people in your life. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You know what I've noticed about good mentors? The good ones learn from their mistakes, but they also learn from others. Sometimes it's not even that you're going to a mentor to say, hey, I need some advice on this. Sometimes it's just saying, hey, 
What's something you did that you got completely wrong that you learned from? I used to get, um, I, I still kind of do to a degree, I used to get ridiculed for buying autobiographies. I love autobiographies. I love them. Because the principle for me has always been behind this, okay? Because autobiographies tend to be a little expensive. I would rather spend 30, some even, some I even have were 75 bucks. I would rather spend 30 to 75 bucks to learn about a man or woman 75 years on this earth than to spend another 70 years making silly mistakes when I can learn from them. That's why, listen, this might be, be too leadership driven, but I believe this to be true. If you're the smartest person at the table, go find another table. You need to find somewhere else. I'm not talking about church. Stay here. We love you. <laughs> there are smarter pastors, though. No, no problem. I get that. What, what, I, what I'm saying by that is, hey, if you think you've got your marriage all together and you don't need to improve, you need to find another table. If you think your finances are, are great and you can do what you've done that's gotten you to where you are, it's not going to get you to where you need to go. You need to go find someone smarter. Take any area in your life and put somebody at your table that is smarter than you and grow. You want to know what happens when you're not growing? Does anybody know what happens when you're not growing? You're dying. Anything God created, for the most part, anything he created grows. A plant, if it's treated good, taken care of, grows. Your life, same thing. Whatever you water, whatever you cultivate, whatever you take care of, begins to grow. So you learn that through people. Wisdom comes through pain. Wisdom comes through people. But thirdly, and I think most importantly, wisdom comes through prayer. Everyone say prayer. You have to understand that going to God in prayer is important. Anybody else here feel like you're not the smartest person in the room? Good. Ask for wisdom. And he'll give it. Wisdom comes through pain. Wisdom comes through people. Wisdom comes through prayer. So here's the deal about trials. Number one, they're necessary for our wholeness. Number two, we got to walk them through with wisdom. And number three, and we close trials must be faced without wavering. Notice what he says in verse 6. But when you ask, ask for what? Wisdom. You must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Ouch. Literally right there. If you waver, don't expect anything from God because you have to believe such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. What I've noticed about unstable people or wavering people is they're up one day, they're down the next, they're all in one day, they're all out the next day. God is not looking for people who waver. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not going to face moments of doubt, and that's when you go to the Lord in prayer, and that's when you get people around you, and you believe God at his word. Those thoughts are going to come. But when it comes to what it is that you believe and what it is that you're going to do, don't doubt. Why doubt when you have a God who is so big? Listen, if God's your partner, dream big. Live big. Have faith. Like we talk about all the time, and God is so good and God is so big, then why do we live in him with small thinking? Why do we limit him with this whole idea? Oh, things are always going to be this way. Come on, guys. I'm speaking to myself too. Come on, Rich. Why are we thinking so small? 
Why are you worrying? Why are you doubting? He's God. And he's just saying, hey, have some faith. Get some wisdom. But don't doubt. Just don't doubt. That's what I love about God. It's like God's so simple. We made him so complicated. You need something? Ask. I'll give. Sounds simple. He's, he's good. I can remember dating Vanessa, and she's not in here today, but she'd have a great laugh over this. Well, my parents are in here, so they know me. I think I broke up with that girl like five times. You want to talk about wavering and doubting. Goodness gracious. I won't get into the long story of it, but I was like, all my friends were, you know, getting in relationships and getting engaged, and they were like, like sharing all their stories of how they were out one night and God spoke to them with an audible voice. This is the one and blah, blah, blah. And then a star went across the sky and I just knew they were the one. And I'm like, I saw her eating a hamburger one time at youth group. I was like, dang, that girl is hot. <laughs> True story. She could put down a burger like nothing I ever seen before. I'm talking like a Western bacon double cheeseburger from Carl's Jr. with Chris Crep fries dipped in ranch. She was good. I was like, man, I really like her. And then the next minute I'm going, I don't think she's for me. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I wavered and doubted. And here's what I learned looking back. Thank God 13 years later, thank the Lord I got some common sense. Jeez, would have missed out. What a great, great woman. I can't imagine what it did to her too. I just, I just wonder when we waver. Now God's unmovable, but man, I think God up in heaven going, gosh, man, you were in and now you're out. I was getting ready to do this and now you're wavering. I don't think he says it in a mean tone like that because he's a good God, but I think sometimes God goes, I, I was working. Why are you stopping? Why are you wavering? I think God does that sometimes. So here's the deal. Don't waver. When you're going through trial and hard times, just don't waver. Amen? Amen. Stand on your feet real quick. We're, we're, we're going to close. I know some people want to see the results of the Packers game because they're godly people and they would never check that during the service, ever. Ne never. I mean, one of them's sitting on the back row right now, so maybe, she, maybe she is. I don't, I don't know. Everyone, stretch your hand towards the back, right back there. Maybe you've heard this story before, this illustration, but I thought it was a great way to kind of cap off. This, this is a teaching series. I don't know if you're going to get a bunch of raw raw from me in this series. We're trying to help us all understand the Book of James, and so I'm trying to bring it to you in a way where you can understand it and apply it and kind of wrestle around with it, but. I thought this was a good way to end a story. It's called, Which One Are You in Tough Times? Now, just go with me. Are you a carrot, an egg, or coffee? Some of you are like, ooh, coffee. All right. It says, a daughter complained to her father about how hard things were going for her. She said, as soon as I solve one problem, she said, another one comes up, and I'm just tired of struggling. Now her father, a chef, took her to a kitchen where he filled three pots with water and he placed them each on high on the fire. Now soon the pots came to a boil. In one he placed carrots, in the second eggs, and in the last ground coffee beans. He let them sit and boil without saying a word. The daughter impatiently waited, wondering what he was doing. And after a while he went over, he turned off the burners. He finished, or I'm sorry, he fished out the carrots and he placed them in a bowl. He pulled out the eggs, he placed them in a bowl, and then he poured the coffee into a bowl. Turning to her, he asked, darling, what do you see? And she said, I see carrots, I see eggs, and I see coffee. And he brought her closer, and he asked her to feel the carrots, and she did, and she noted that they were soft. 
He then asked her to take an egg and break it. And after pulling off the shell, she observed the hard-boiled egg. Finally, he asked her to sip the coffee. She smiled as it tasted really good. Exactly. He said false. I completely agree. She asked, what does it mean, Dad? And he explained that each of them, watch here, had faced the same adversity, boiling water. But each one reacted differently. The carrot went in strong, hard, and unrelenting. But after being subject to the boiling water, it softened and became weak. The egg was fragile. Its thin outer shell had protected its liquid interior, but after sitting through boiling water, its inside hardened. The ground coffee beans were unique, however. By being in the boiling water, they changed the water. And he asked his daughter, when adversity knocks and trials come your way, which are you? Crazy story, huh? Which are you? When tough times come, what's your first response? Where's your mind go? Where's your heart go? Where's your actions go? Watch here. We'll talk about this next week. Where do your words go? When tough times come, which are you? When trials come, I'm telling you guys, they're going to come in many shapes and many sizes. But they're twofold. Your trials will come and you can either bow to them, give in to them, or you can walk through them like the scriptures say in James. And you can persevere and be whole and complete. And here's what happens. When you do that, you will set an example to those around you nearest to you and those farthest from you and you'll change the world upon which you live but it's all based on how you respond to trials would you bow your heads